Welcome to The Pharmacy Benefit, a podcast that highlights the role of PBMs in serving millions of patients and consumers throughout the country. I'm JC Scott. On this episode, we have a bit of a history lesson. We're going to talk about the Robinson-Patman Act, an antitrust law from 1936. For many of our listeners who might not know much or anything about Robinson-Patman, here's what you need to know going into today's conversation. Unlike other antitrust laws which protect consumers from anti-competitive behavior by sellers, Robinson-Patman is intended to shield businesses acting as buyers from unfair competition. Basically, the law prohibits a seller from offering different levels of discounts or rebates to different buyers based on their size. The law came about to combat what were considered to be unfair trade practices when some chain stores were able to purchase goods at lower prices than other types of retailers. The law basically requires that sellers offer the same price terms to customers at a given level of trade, which in the prescription drug space means that a manufacturer can't offer one buyer a deeper discount up front than they would offer a smaller buyer. Today, we're going to explore how this law has impacted the pharmaceutical market from a historical standpoint, how it might be applied in the future, and what it means for public policy on drug pricing and rebates. Joining me to talk about it is Ross Margolis, a partner at the law firm of Foley Hoag. Ross provides expert strategic counseling on regulatory and administrative processes and coverage and reimbursement matters for a wide range of healthcare entities, helping them to navigate complex issues related to federal and state healthcare, legal, and regulatory matters. He has a special expertise in Medicare and Medicaid law, including coverage, reimbursement, and regulatory oversight. Ross is a co-author of the firm's Medicaid and the Law blog, which highlights and explains current legal and policy issues in the Medicaid program. He also represents his clients before Congress, CMS, other areas of the Departments of Health and Human Services and Labor, and the IRS. And on top of all of that, he's a really good guy. Ross, welcome to the Pharmacy Benefit. JC, it is so great to be here with you. I have to say I'm a huge old-time radio buff. I'm also a huge podcast listener, and I am happy to say this is my first podcast. There's no one I'd rather make my inaugural journey with than you, JC. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, that's awesome. We are we are honored to be at part of this very seminal moment in your life. So <laughs> terrific. Well, Ross, why don't we dive in? Uh, we have a bit of a meaty topic today. So let's break it down a little bit and maybe just begin this way. You heard me just now give my explanation of the fundamental meaning of the Robinson-Patman Act. And I just ask you, did I get it right? And I'm not going to be offended if you say no, because the idea today is to learn. So how would you explain the key meaning of the law in just a couple of sentences? Well, JC, I was actually going to ask you if you were an antitrust lawyer, because I think you did marvelously. The Robinson-Patman Act is a bit of an oddball in the antitrust world, as you mentioned. A core tenant of our free market system and most of our antitrust laws is to promote competition, which often means to encourage competitors to compete for lower prices for consumers. The Robinson-Patman Act is a unique law that came at a unique point in our history, namely the Great Depression, and also the emergence of big chain stores. So think of, for example, since we're in D.C., Safeway was around back then. I think it was called something different, or the A&P. So these big chain stores came in and were able to extract greater discounts from wholesalers or manufacturers of goods directly uh, than the small mom-and-pop store were. And so there was a real concern among many in Congress, including Representative Wright Patman, that these small mom-and-pop stores were simply going to go out of business. And so the aim of the Robinson-Patman Act 
is really less about protecting the end price to consumer. And indeed, I'd say probably chain stores were providing lower prices to consumers at that time, but really is about the future and the well-being of competitors themselves, that your local corner grocery store or your local pharmacy would still be able to survive amidst these big chains. So simply put, the Robinson-Patman Act, which, as we'll discuss, has remained on the books pretty much unchanged despite a lot of criticism Mm -hmm. over the last 90 years, prohibits price differences that harm competitors unless some exception to that law is met. That is helpful, and uh, I appreciate you uh, trying to bump up my legal expertise, but no, your explanation was much better than mine. <laughs> JC, can I tell you a story really quick? Please. I apologize, we're sort of veering off the road, but I figure most of our listeners here are relatively wonky, and so I would be remiss not to <laughs> say one other thing about Representative Patman. Many do not know that he played another key role in our country's history, which was it was Representative Patman in 1972 at the age of 80 that began the first investigation as chairman of the banking committee into the Watergate scandal. And he didn't have a ton of success, but it was ultimately Representative Patman's early work that led to the impeachment and resignation of President Nixon. So just a little bit of of history there. That was Representative Patman when he was at the ripe age of 80 years old doing that. Well, I've just learned something new, Ross. That's pretty cool information. (laughs) I did not realize how far and reaching Representative Patman's legacy actually is. Indeed. So turning back to his signature law, the Robinson-Patman Act, as you know, the podcast here is uh, focused on all things related to prescription drugs. So why does the prescription drug market need to worry about this law in particular? And is this a reasonable good for the law to apply to? How does it work when it comes to this space? Yeah, so there is absolutely a hook here for the prescription drug supply chain. And to this day, the issue really remains prescient for all actors in the drug supply chain. And so even though, as we'll discuss, the FTC enforcement of the Robinson-Patman Act and even private litigation over the Robinson-Patman Act has really diminished pretty significantly over the years, whether we are talking about books, spices, cars, or prescription drugs, whenever you have goods being sold in competitive markets, and I'd say particularly when you have both small and large competitors, the Robinson-Patman Act is going to be casting that shadow uh, and remains a consideration, for example, for manufacturers, for PBMs, when making considerations about discounting. Uh, you know, I'll say here, in the case of prescription drugs, there is really a very storied and lengthy litigation that was brought in the 1990s mm-hmm. by a group of pharmacies under the Robinson-Patman Act that probably is, you know, one of the reasons we're talking about this today, because that litigation really shaped, one, what the drug supply chain looks like today, but also out of that, as we'll discuss, emerged this really important role for a tool that both manufacturers and PBMs rely on, and that is the rebate. And maybe I'll tell you just really quickly about that litigation. Please. The the case was brought in the mid-1990s by a group of pharmacies alleging that drug manufacturers, through their wholesalers, were engaging in price discrimination in violation of the Robinson-Patman Act. And they were doing so by extending greater discounts to managed care organizations, PBMs and hospitals, than they were to the pharmacies. I'll begin by saying the litigation was lengthy. It was costly, and whether you settled it or didn't, it was quite the battle. One thing I will say about that litigation, JC, just to sort of conclude there, is that the drug supply chain has really changed a lot 
since the mid-1990s. So one thing that's quite different is if you look back at the complaint in those cases, you know, one of the complainants alleged, for example, they were a pharmacy chain and they had as their customers large employers. And so they were actually providing the pharmacy benefit at that point to large employers. And so really we're at that time directly in competition with PBMs and health plans. Whereas today, I really think that's much less the case. And so one thing that we can think about and talk about is, you know, while that litigation is still relevant and while the role of rebates is still relevant, the concerns and the acuteness of the concerns under the Robinson-Patman Act are probably less acute than they were back then, because I think in many cases we see pharmacies and PBMs less as direct competitors than we did back then. So let's stay focused on that litigation for a second, because I want to make sure I understand. You mentioned it was complicated. It was lengthy. I'd appreciate your perspective on what's sort of the key takeaway there. And it leaves me with this. And you mentioned rebates, which leaves me with this sort of overarching, very basic question. If Robinson-Patman says you have to offer essentially the same price to any given buyer, then how do we have a system today where these retrospective rebates may be different from one buyer to another? That's great. So I'll answer both of those questions. So first, the result of the litigation, so one, I'll say many of the manufacturers settled fairly early on. And part of that settlement agreement, the manufacturers agreed to a core principle with the court, which was the manufacturers going forward, in addition to paying a hefty settlement, the manufacturers agreed going forward that to the extent the pharmacies could demonstrate the same level of market share as the managed care organizations, as the hospitals, that they would extend the same level of discounts. And this is how we get to rebates, which is upfront discounts, which were common at that time, are not very good at measuring market share. And what I mean by that is, if you really want to measure market share, you have to ultimately take a look back and see, well, what has this purchaser's behavior looked like over time? And so the rebate, which is essentially a retrospective discount, right, a discount paid on the back end, is uniquely good at recognizing the movement of market share. And so in order to comply with that settlement order, while rebates existed before this time, they really became the predominant discounting model in order to ensure Robinson-Patman Act compliance. Now, JC, the other question you asked is, given the Robinson-Patman Act on its face seems to really ban any sort of price differences, how is it that we know today that different health plans, for example, are able to negotiate different levels of discounts from manufacturers? And so how is that possible? Well, mm -hmm. as you know, to understand a law, you always also have to understand its exceptions to that law. And so like many laws, there are exceptions, carve-outs to the Robinson-Patman Act. We won't go through all of those, but for example, using the example of a, of a drug manufacturer, a manufacturer may be able to justify a price difference under the Robinson-Patman Act if, for example, it is offering a price discount or rebate to one purchaser in order to prevent losing that sale to another specific competitor. So too, to the extent that a manufacturer is able to show that a PBM, for example, is providing certain add-on services, then they also justify the discount. So there are really four major exceptions, but it's in those exceptions that 
regulated entities spend most of their time thinking about the Robinson Patman Act because, in general, there are good ways to offer price differences. The rebate, you know, as we've discussed, is one of those tools because one way in which you can offer for price differences is to show that movement of market share. Mm. So that's sort of how the rebate has become so historically important in this Robinson Patman Act world in which we live. That's really helpful. So just to boil it down, that ability to show and demonstrate a movement of market share to the buyer is a valid differentiator that allows for different discount levels or different rebates. That's exactly right. So let's talk then a a little bit more forward-looking. And Ross, I've heard you talk about this before. You did a briefing recently at PCMA where you mentioned that this particular law, Robinson-Patman, became pretty relevant again, given some of what was being proposed by the Trump administration with their drug pricing blueprint. And as listeners to our podcast know, that includes changes to the rebate system. So if there were changes to the way the current retrospective rebate system works now, it sounds like that would limit quite a bit what manufacturers would be able to offer in terms of different discounts up front. Is that a fair understanding? Yeah. So this is a really timely topic, JC. So if many of your listeners will recall, back in the summer of 2019, I believe it was, the HHS Office of Inspector General issued a proposed rule that would have eliminated safe harbor protection for rebates. In other words, the sort of protection that exists for rebates would go away, largely eliminating their use in, at the very least, the Medicare and Medicaid programs. That rule was actually finalized at the end of the Trump administration, although it has been placed on a hold by the incoming Biden administration, as we understand it, is being seriously reconsidered, given that the rule was also shown by CMS's own actuaries to dramatically increase costs. So, and this really sort of ties everything together, JC. When that rule came out, a number of us began to say, huh, so what does a world without rebates look like? Well, it probably looks like a world with discounts, upfront discounts. And okay, maybe that's fine. Maybe manufacturers simply convert their rebate percentage. So let's say a rebate percentage is 30% to an upfront discount percentage. But we run into some issues with that, with the Robinson-Patman Act, as we discussed, right? So unlike rebates, discounts are not able to measure the movement of market share as well. And so there is a real concern that in the absence of rebates, I think a number of behaviors could occur. So one, I think there's a question of whether or not manufacturers would feel the pressure under the Robinson-Patman Act to move to sort of reduce that differential, right? So if the Robinson-Patman Act prohibits price differences, maybe manufacturers, to the extent they're not able to use rebates to measure market share, just move to a standard level of discount. And then the other sort of even more problematic concern is, well, what does that level of discount look like? And I think there is a real concern that that level of discount is much less than the level of discount we see today. And what does that ultimately mean? It means higher prices for consumers in the form of both premiums and cost sharing. That's helpful. And I think I'm getting it, Russ. So given the law, given the settlement we saw from that litigation in the 90s, there's really an open question of whether manufacturers could do upfront discounts, whether they would be comfortable given the precedent and the legal status. And two, even if they theoretically could, Without that demonstration that happens in a retrospective discounting system that market share has been moved, from an economic standpoint, they just probably aren't going to be as motivated to discount as deeply as they do today. Am I, am I getting that right? 
bingo. I feel like we're playing a law school logic game because we're connecting a lot of different <laughs> dots here, but that's you absolutely have it right. Well, law school was 22 years ago for me now, so it's it's been a while, but that's great. So maybe a last set of questions here, Ross. As we think of what, about what happens next, it sounds like changes to Robinson-Patman, perhaps repeal and start over on this area of law might be necessary if you were going to go down the road of redoing the rebate system. But politically, I'd welcome sort of your perspective or crystal ball on, on how likely that really is that we might see changes to Robinson-Patman given the history of that law. Yeah. So the Robinson-Patman Act may be one of the most maligned and long-lasting laws on the books in the United States. At the same time, it has proven itself incredibly persistent. I've counted at least five major government-sponsored reports since 1955 calling for the repeal of Robinson-Patman Act. And yet, despite that, congressional attempts to repeal the Robinson-Patman Act have failed and faltered. You know, partly driving that is you have to think about who the constituency for the Robinson-Patman Act is Mm -hmm. and whether or not they still exist today. And the answer is they absolutely exist. You know, I'll give you a very quick example of a case recently involving the Robinson-Patman Act just to sort of demonstrate that a car dealer, a Volvo car dealer in Arkansas, sued Volvo under the Robinson-Patman Act because Volvo was offering better discounts to other car dealers with a goal of, I think, at that time publicly trying to reduce the overall number of Volvo, this Rochester Volvo truck dealers. And, and the plaintiff there was able to show that this car dealer was able to show that, yes, in fact, they were offering better discounts and thus had violated the Robinson-Patman Act and won a jury award there. So there really are true constituents out there that look to this law. So booksellers, independent grocery stores. So, you know, when any debate around the Robinson-Patman Act happens, these individuals come out of the woodwork and they're powerful constituents. And so I think that's right, JC. I don't see this as a priority for Congress. And so really what we need to think about is how do we live with the Robinson-Patman Act? And even if the FTC isn't focused on it, even if private litigation is difficult, it does sit over compliance departments. It does sit over attorneys. So it's really about what tools do we have that keeps the role of the rebate just so, so important for PBMs and health plans. And to your point on those stakeholders who might be most impacted, were there to be changes to this law in the prescription drug space, I guess the analogy would be to the smaller independent community pharmacies. Yes, absolutely. Who still view this as a real tool to be able to ensure they can get fair discounts. That's right. And so I think we would absolutely see the independent pharmacists put up their arms if there were movement to repeal the Robinson-Patman Act. So at the end of the day, it sounds like Robinson-Patman is probably here to stay for a while, and therefore we're living within this construct when it comes to discounting or rebating in the prescription drug system. So as we're all contemplating, as Congress is contemplating, how do we address high drug costs? Are we going to make changes to the rebate system? It sounds like we really need to be cognizant both of the law that's on the books and the and the case law precedent that's been set and also the economic incentives that come along with a retrospective rebate. That's right. Congress, do not forget about the much maligned Robinson-Patman Act because <laughs> even if you're not focused on it, it exists and we need tools to deal with it. That's right. Terrific. Well, Ross, this has been a hugely informative discussion. I've learned a lot. Hopefully our listeners have learned a lot. Thank you for uh, taking the time to join us. Thanks again for giving me my inaugural chance at beginning my podcasting career, JC. I think you have a bright career ahead of you. (laughs) 
And thank you to everyone for listening. I encourage you to subscribe to The Pharmacy Benefit and download all of our podcast episodes. You can do that on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. I'm JC Scott. Thanks for joining me. Mm-hmm.